0: Welcome
1: to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. Damon. welcome back. Got welcome, a welcome. Today, Next Level Business Podcast. we got Mr. Ken Mack in the building.
2: Shane, been waiting for this one a long time. I have. It's exciting <laughs> to have you on, Mr. Ken Mack. Thank you for being a part of it.
0: Thanks for having me on the show, guys.
2: So we're going to
1: dive into uh, lots of stuff today. Mr. Ken Mack is well-known in the community for the legend for buying businesses with no money out of pocket. And you got the boot camp coming up. Make sure to tell people about that. We can get that out there. Um, So, Ken, why don't we start off just telling a little bit uh, about your background and how you got started, and uh, we'll kind of take it from there.
0: Yeah, my journey started as a paper boy when I was 10 years old. Um, Started making a couple of pounds for myself. Um, You know, that grew arms and legs. Turned into a cleaning business when I was 13. So I was cleaning patio furniture. So I got the entrepreneurial spirit as a, at a very young age because uh, I was very materialistic when I was younger, desperate to buy my first motorbike. And the only way I could do it was to uh, to uh, to clean patio furniture. Um, so, you know, um, that's, uh, that evolved to uh, a fairly, you know, fast forward into my uh, early 20s. It evolved into a, a fairly sizable cleaning uh, company in the UK. Did very well. It was, uh, it was hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. You know the whole thing. You, you, you start a business and you can't pay yourself, or or most in most businesses you don't get a wage in the first couple of years of of starting the business. Well, that was the case. Um, so you know, I I seen it from an early age, from you start businesses to acquiring businesses. On an lBO leverage buyout where you're using other people's money or leveraging the assets of the business and then distressed acquisitions so I'm able I was able to compare the uh, acquiring a business versus starting a business from uh, a first person perspective from doing it myself so from seeing how easy. I'm not saying that it's easy to acquire a business, but from seeing how easy it is compared to starting a business, I, uh, I stuck with uh, mergers and acquisitions. As some people know as M and A. You know, some people say to me, "What is it that you do for a living?" And I say M and A. They say, "What is that?" Um, so, but I stuck with M and A since my uh, you know late later twenties. Until today, uh, you know, I'm 36 now, but yeah, been in and out of deals all my life. Grew the cleaning business through uh, leverage buyouts as well. Uh, acquiring smaller services, service-based businesses, uh, more so on seller finance uh, without having to put my money down. But uh, so, so I got the bug at an early age. Um, yep, it's been a roller coaster. So it's not all been ups, many downs, as I'm sure that you guys uh, you know in your business experience of experience as well with you know it's a it's a tough game you know you have got to be you've got to be tough um and you've got to be uh, emotionally strong to uh to be able to to cope with what life throws at you it's uh you know I've been on the verge of bankruptcy a couple of times and it's not very nice when you work hard for your assets but you know in the, in my world I, I play monopoly but the uh, but in real life. So, you know, what I say is you want to stack the green houses and the red hotels, but you buy the businesses that gives you the cash flow to buy the green houses and the red hotels because that's payday. Payday is the day that you get the set of keys in your hand for that asset to add in your asset column. You know, an interesting uh, story was uh, playing Monopoly with my son uh, a couple of months ago during lockdown. And uh, I was trying to explain to him that you need to uh, – Buy as many houses as you can. You know when you land on the spot, you got to buy the house. And then what happens is when you land on the house, it's going to pay your rent. And uh, the, do- the door, the uh, door bell went, and it uh, was one of the, the tenants. A few properties here uh, on the street, and they were coming to pay the rent. When we were playing a Monopoly game, me, my son is uh, six years old, and uh, I say, you know, this is how this is how we we, uh, we do it. We, you know, we did we, we play Monopoly, but we do it here in real life. So uh, I thought it was really cool.
2: That is an amazing story. I've I've got a 14 year old and right now he has uh, started mowing yards and he's got the bug. So, you know, I helped him get the equipment, but then he took off. He made flyers, you know, went around the neighborhood, but now he wants to expand it. Last night he was looking for, you know, it's leaf season and there's a lot more money in leaves and, but he's getting the bug, he's getting the mind. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, what you're doing with your son right there is a beautiful thing because you're dropping that entrepreneurial spirit inside of him. And what's so great about it is he gets to be with you every single day, right? So you're going to be able to drop that into him on a regular basis, and that seed's going to be watered all the time. Not just a one, you know, it's not just a workshop where you come for a day and then you eventually lose all that. With, with our With our kids, we get the ability to do that on a day-to-day basis, year over year. So by the time they're 18, they're going to be monsters, man. They're going to have it down what we didn't have the mentorship you know, I remember reading something on your side about not having mentorship. You know, they're going to have that mentorship where we didn't, so they're going to be able to do so much more, so much faster than we are.
0: That, that, that's uh, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, you know, just before I made the post, I thought I made a lot of mistakes. And one of the biggest mistakes was just not uh, was underestimating the value of mentorship. But the the other thing was this: I didn't really know where to uh, to look for one. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I didn't know where to find a mentor. Like, where, where do you find a, a mentor that's going to be able to show you how, how to do things? But knowing what I know now, um, if I had access to that uh, level of knowledge, then it would have fast-tracked me. And that's what I'm trying to do with my son is to fast-track him, is to give him that knowledge, play Monopoly with him and teach him. Because like the, like you say, uh, if you teach them early, they're going to turn into monsters. Money monsters when they're older, Monopoly men, real life Monopoly men, a bit like Dan Penny with the with the tissue sticking out of his pocket.
1: Monopoly men. I love that.
0: Yeah, Monopoly's.
1: Um, I, I I was the one that always tell all my cousins, like, "Hey, let's let's play Monopoly. Let's play Monopoly." You know, <clears throat> it, it it has a big impact. It has a big impact for sure. You can tell the kids who play Monopoly. Okay. <laughs> who do who, who, who haven't played Monopoly? You know, it's like they have some kind of edge, right. financial understanding. Like uh, you know, You're like, I know your game, man. You yeah. can play Monopoly. He used to play Monopoly, right? You can play what, Monopoly, man. Shane and I were talking what, a couple of episodes ago. We talked about that exact thing,
2: playing Monopoly. Yeah, playing Monopoly in real life with you know we were doing it on houses, and but you can do that with businesses too, right? I mean, with with what you're talking about, you just stack them up, and and uh, but yeah, playing Monopoly is so powerful. We just don't we don't think about
0: it as adults. The value of that game it's legendary, um, and with businesses when you're stacking them, especially um, businesses that you're leveraging that are asset heavy, then you're stacking the uh, the you're still stacking the greenhouses. But they're commercial greenhouses. You're stacking you're stacking the businesses that have got the commercial real estate. So even though you're winning both ways, you're getting the business the real estate, and you're getting the cash flow that you can then reinvest into more real estate, into more assets. And that and that that's the name of the game. The more assets that you've got, the richer that you're going to become. It's as simple as that. Because it's it's hard to make money in businesses, you know, when you start a business. It's very hard, you know. And usually, you make the money when you make the exit, um, or you make the money when you buy the assets that are going to pay you. Because uh, you know, sometimes you you've got the crises like now. You need to then reinvest into the businesses, or your revenues are down significantly, and you need to you need to make a sacrifice, but not taking dividends at the company yourself or taking a salary. So, so you know, it's not an easy game. Uh, you know, the uh, I only show people on social media what what, what I want them to see. I don't show a lot of the hard stuff that I go through. Uh, and I think it's the same for most people that post on social media. Right. People don't really want to see the negative side of business, uh, although it's good to show it, um, but also, you know, I'm realistic about it at the same time. So it's, uh, you know, it, some people say that you've either got it or you don't. Uh, I think you can learn it. Um, you know, anybody can buy a business, for example, Um, If you follow the system, but uh, to get to that level, you know, the next level, um, you've either got it or you don't. You need need to surround yourself with those people in order to force you to level up. And that's why, you know, the the masterminds are so important, events, surrounding yourself by like-minded people. Because, uh, you know, especially if you live in a small city or a small town that doesn't have that caliber of people, you're better to lock yourself in the office and surround yourself with those people online.
2: That's a good word. So, right now, you do uh, you do mentoring? That's private and group,
0: both. Yeah, well, I just started uh, mentoring in uh, January um, this year. So I'm, I'm doing the. Uh, I, was, I was running private mentoring up until July, um, so I cut back in that so I could push the boot camp. And the bootcamp is group mentoring, but I'm taking a, a group of ten, and we're spending three months together, and we're getting everything structured. It, uh, it's called the Business Buyers Bootcamp, and uh, I'm taking them on a journey where we structure everything. And we go out, take them the bit of hand, they get the steering wheel. I'm, I'm the co-pilot, and uh, I, I, I steer them in the right direction in order to buy a business without putting any money down, by by doing an LBO. I, I stay away from the uh, distressed acquisitions unless it was me personally involved. Um, but, uh, in terms of uh leverage buyout, so, uh, you know, we, uh, get the deals into the, into the pipeline, get the structure, go through due diligence and take them to closing. So when you do deals, what is, uh, go ahead, bro.
1: Um, so just the last couple of deals that you did, uh, what are some things that, that didn't work out maybe in the due diligence that, uh, stood out to you?
0: Yeah, so we did the last deal uh, or one of the uh, the most recent deals that uh, I took it to like 95% before it collapsed. Okay. I think we spent like four, four to six months in that deal in Lithuania, manufacturing company. Um, everything was ag- agreed, uh, heads of terms, due diligence was done. We had the meeting, everything was, uh, uh, you know, hands were shaken. Uh, everybody was happy. And then last minute, the uh, I, I call it seller's remorse. <laughs> um, and unless the uh, the seller has a uh, 10 out of 10 certainty right. that he either wants to sell with the business, especially when he's emotionally attached to it, or he's 10 out of 10 certain that you are the right person to buy the business, especially if they're giving seller finance in a portion of the business, you get seller's remorse. And uh, he decided at the last minute before closing that he wanted not 50% seller finance, Eighty percent. We had the money on the table to pay down the other fifty percent. So every everything was there, um, and then it collapsed because of the, because of the seller's remorse. And I think for that reason, it's a good idea to have as many deals in the pipeline as possible. You know, there, there's a deal I'm working on just now with uh, one of the guys from the boot camp, and it's a six million pound. It's about nine million US dollars manufacturing company in the UK. It's uh, the guys that bought this business, it was a management, a management buyout. So uh, they were very happy with the leverage buyout structure. Um, everything's good. Um, the, the deal is in funding just now. Uh, we had uh, an indicative uh, agreement in principle today uh, on the funding. Um, there's a percentage of, libra- uh, of seller finance. Um, but I would say there's a, ha- there's a 99% chance that this deal will go through, but there's always that 1% chance that it will not and i was 99% sure that the deal in lithuania was going to go through but it didn't slip through the net now maybe, maybe saying 99% is a bit too a uh, bit a bit too enthusiastic about the deals but uh, i've been involved in so many deals that uh, that just haven't happened um so it's for that reason getting as many irons into the fire as possible to avoid disappointment but the more that you the more that you're disappointed or you surround yourself with disappointment the harder that you become emotionally, because the thing is you become you become emotionally attached to deals. You know, Even for me, I, I personally spent you know, six months on my own deals, booking my flights over to South America ready to close them and then they collapse, and you spent like 50, 60K on due deal. So it's for that reason that I've got my own protocols now um, to carry out most of the due diligence, get the finance in place so that you can onboard a contingent-based advisor to avoid you having to pay down money up front. So I pay down way too much money up front on deals. And it's uh, it's sore in the bank account. And I, I don't like to keep money in the bank account. I prefer to invest it out. You know, I I, I, I say that, uh, you know, currency is, is toxic and it gets tired. You've got to keep it busy. You've got, you've got to delegate your currency and put it to work because it's just a mechanism. It's a mechanism to make more money. So you've got to leverage that. You can't just have it sitting there.
1: So while while we're going off on that, let's talk. So a couple, what, about a month ago, maybe, uh, Ken called me. It, well, he texted me. He's like, hey, uh, I don't know how it came up, but we're talking about Bitcoin. And so he he jumped on the phone with me and he gave me his perspective on it. And it was really enlightening because there's a lot of people that, you know, they're on one boat, they're on another boat. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation on there. So, Ken, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that, uh, you know, your perspective on Bitcoin, how much, how many coins you have, if you want to share some of that, uh, just to show people like, hey, you got your money where your mouth is. You know, there's a lot of people that just talk and then, you know, then they don't really, they're not really involved in it. So,
0: Yeah, man. Um, well, I only started getting involved with Bitcoin uh, back around March when I smelt a fish. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, with the uh, economic situation um I, I just i just call it the situation there's so many th- theories about it so um but it's op- opened up a lot of opportunities so i um i was thinking okay so there's money coming in um money sitting about all over the place i need to um with the government's putting out all the helicopter money uh, not just here in the uk but the stimulus packages in the usa it's it's, it's going to cause uh, inflation of course so as an investor, I want to protect myself. And I see the uh, uh, retail investors jumping onto gold and silver. It's a, a good place to put your money. Um, but I think that's more of a poor mindset to put your money into gold and silver. Smart investors are the smartest investors right now are going to be securing their money in Bitcoin. And the reason for that is um, it's, it's, it's past the test of time, 10 years. It's the scarcest asset known to man. In the universe, there's only going to be 23 million coins mined or minted, and that's it. Once they're minted, they're minted, and that's it. Bitcoin is the people's currency. It's a bit like what Robert Kiyosaki says: gold and silver is God's currency, and fiat currency, money that the governments are printing, that belongs to the government. So, with uh, with that in mind, you know, yes, you can't eat Bitcoin, and you can't eat gold. But uh, you know you can you, you it's you're in full control of it. Dogs can't sniff Bitcoin. They can't smell a Bitcoin. So you know you were you in you are in full control. If fact, there we are here. Look, Let's see if I've got my ledger sitting there. So you know you you can have billions sitting on a. Uh, this is called a ledger. You could have millions or billions, or as Donald Trump says, billions and billions and billions on your ledger, <laughs> and it's, uh, nobody can touch it. It's you're untouchable. You know, I uh, I started with ten bitcoins, uh, ten fifteen bitcoins. So it's like uh, at the time, one hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. So you know, I've, I've got full faith. I've got full faith in the the fact that it, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, and I think that uh, anybody and their mother should own at least one Bitcoin or everybody and their mother should own at least one Bitcoin. My mother has a Bitcoin. She doesn't even know what a Bitcoin is. I told her you need to buy a Bitcoin. There's so much. Uh, there's a lot of good sentiment out there because you see the purpose of Bitcoin is only to go one way. It's. I don't ever believe it's going to become a currency even though though it's called a cryptocurrency i think it's more of a store of value it's a safe haven and it's also pr- proven itself to be the um the f- the the the, quick, the asset with the quickest return it's the the fastest re- returning asset in the history of mankind N- nothing touches it N- nothing can touch it so is your
2: goal to own uh what about all the other currencies do you, or cryptocurrencies do you, do you buy into those or is it just I've specific-
0: a bunch of money to uh, invest a, a, about 30% of a portfolio into other, uh, the other cryptos but uh, they're losing a lot of money um just now you know I woke up one day and it was down like 70k uh, on them so i think they're very high risk but i, I went into those other currencies with the uh, uh with the mindset that i'm going to lose my money so i'm going to sit on them i'm going to sit on them um, and just see what happens. Um, but I, I don't really, endor- I don't endorse any of the other. Um, uh, I think they call them altcoins. I think that Bitcoin is the uh, is the only one that, if you're looking, uh, if you're looking for a, a safety net, then Bitcoin is where you need to be. Nice. And right now, it's it's half the it's half its all time high. So it's it's on sale. It's on sale just now. And and anytime the markets are red. Uh, you know when you uh, there's a good website It's called coin 360com and when you log in, it's got a heat map of all the different cryptos. And any time that you see red, you know we look upon that as the sale, so we just buy more. So in the markets down, buy more. But I was telling Joshua, so many different ways that you can uh, you can buy in. Um, you don't necessarily need to say, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, all my money now into a Bitcoin. Um, I, uh, I I could say every Friday, delegate uh, say a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars every Friday, and it's called dollar cost averaging. So as long as you maintain consistency over a period of time, uh, say you've been dollar cost averaging over six months, then um, you're going to you're going um, you're, you're to lower your risk in terms of at the level that you bought in. So you're banging all different levels, and there's a good application called blockfolio. And you can add all of the transactions that uh, that, that are taking place or connect it to your, uh, uh, to your exchange. And then it's going to work out the average price that you've paid per coin. And the thing is this, the demand is so high that you can liquidate at any time. On average, 70% of people are buying Bitcoin and only 30% are selling. So the only time that we see a dip in the market usually is when the uh, uh, they call them the whales come in to manipulate. There's a lot of market ma- manipulation and they come in to dump the market. To, to, to come in at a lower level, but uh, companies like Fidelity, you know, big uh, private equity firm, they are now recommending Bitcoin to their clients. So for me, that's a sign.
1: Yeah, that was a big. That was a big. Uh, that's a big sign. Yeah, that's a big sign. That's a huge
0: company. You know, and the, the day that you uh, hear your Uber driver speaking about Bitcoin <laughs> is the day that you know shit's happening. You know, I'm not an investment advisor. I think it's important to say that. Uh, I'm, I'm just giving uh, my own opinion. Uh, I'm also not a crypto expert in any way. Uh, I'm I'm just telling you how I I spend my money.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. I'm checking out that Coin360 right now. It's pretty good to have up on the screen.
0: It's cool, man. It's a fantastic website, and it's uh, it's got everything there that you need. And you can zoom in as well. So uh, you can see all the different tokens, and you can zoom right in and see all the tokens that are under, say, for example, the Ethereum chain.
1: Yeah. So one thing I really like about Ken is we were speaking a couple months ago and he, he said something. He said, I live below my means and I respect that a lot, you know, because there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, acquire funds and, you know, don't use it wisely, live above their means and it leads to their demise. How'd you get that mindset, Ken? How, why, not, uh, why not the other
0: mindset? Yeah, I was never given money. Um, yeah. since a young age so uh, I know what it's like to have nothing um, and it's uh, it's very hard to go from nothing to something uh I', I, I just want to point out, my camera is over here by the way yeah okay? but my screen is here yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look between the camera and the screen yeah. so when I see you guys um yeah so so from experiencing on more than one occasion what it's like to have nothing I never want to be in that position again because it's a shit place to be. Um, so always remembering where I came from, um, you know I could get tomorrow and I, I could stock up in some supercars. It's uh, but it's not what I'm going to do. Um, you know we we shop conservatively. Um, I and probably uh, lock up about ninety five percent of my income. Um, you know we, we we just shop in normal shops. Uh, I've got the wife well trained as well. She doesn't spend too much on clothes. Uh, <laughs> so good <laughs> so uh, you know I'm thinking uh, you know just taking it easy until uh, you know I hit the four zero, and then reassess um, you know I've got, I passed all that shit when I was younger anyway you know driving about in the, the Ferraris I use it for you know self-promotion online to say you know just for a bit of inspiration yeah in my uh, 20s you know, running about in the supercars and uh, you know having the, the powerboats and all those pieces but uh, I, I think it's very important to uh i think it's very important to experience uh being in a bad place um i think every everybody should be there because it's going to prepare you for the future
2: yeah and i will add too that you know i was in banking forever and i had all these wealthy guys that banked with me and you know they'd come in and their their kids have no concept of what a dollar is right yeah And so, you know, maybe they go to college, maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, these parents have given these kids a $300,000 lifestyle, right? And these kids don't have any appreciation because they've never had to earn anything. And so I would gently try to tell these guys, man, you need to make sure that they're earning everything on their own and you don't give them everything. Because when you give them something, when you give them everything, they have no appreciation for what you've given them. You know, you give them a BMW, a brand new BMW, when they're 16, they go out and wreck it. They don't care. Right. But you make them pay ten thousand dollars for a car and all of a sudden it's like gold to them and they protect it like it's the greatest thing they've ever done. And, And that's the motto that I take with my son and my daughter. And I could give them stuff, but it doesn't. They don't have that same hunger level. They don't have that appreciation for money. And so therefore I give my kids nothing. I know that sounds terrible as a parent, but you know, I provide for them, you know, whatever they need. We play, you know, soccer and you know, we got one in private school, whatever. But when it comes to stuff,
0: they buy stuff. They don't, it sounds terrible to the ones that don't understand. <laughs> because it's like, uh, you know, you're doing the wrong thing to your kids by handing them things because then they don't have any understanding of the value right. that it has. And it's uh, you know, just go back to what you said there. Um, when I was uh, 16, I was working in a call center and uh, I was w- working you uh, know five days a week while I was in school uh, doing Tesco personal finance loans. And uh, I worked hard, bought my first car uh, when I was 16. And uh, like, to me, it was, a, it was an old Renault 19, a uh, you know, piece of shit. But to me, I seen it, it as like a Ferrari. I was like, wow, this car is amazing. Man. Like, I worked really hard for it. Um, so it's uh, it was very damaging to just give, you know, from experiencing it myself to give it to the kids, you can't do that. It's um, very bad. It's a b- 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 bad place to be. It's uh, it's toxic. I agree with that. Ken, when
1: did you buy your first Ferrari? I know you posted the pictures online uh, the other day.
0: Yeah, I, I was uh, 29. 29. Yeah, I, I said before I turned 30, I want to own a supercar. Yeah. I had the picture in the blood, you know, <laughs> since, uh, since a young age. Yeah. So,
1: right now, as far as investments goes, um, I know you're investing in Bitcoin, you're investing in real estate. What other investments do you look at, or you're looking at, or considering?
0: Yeah, so, you know, get the mentees. Um, so, I am investing my time in these guys um, because I'm JVing on some deals. We got a, a deal I partner on in, uh, in Portugal, it's an ambulance company. And, uh, and we have at the manufacturing company in the UK. But uh, in terms of real estate, I've kind of apart from the deal that uh, you and me are doing in the, in Texas, the uh, the self storage facility. I'm uh, I'm sitting on the fence with things just now because um, with the Perlow scheme ending in the UK, I'm not too convinced about that. I think things are over over inflated. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't know where we're going to be this time next year. Because I see the, the, the government dangling the carrot in front of the rabbit's face with the low interest rates and the incentives. So I'm a little bit scared just now to, to invest out, and that's why I'm looking at safe havens. Um, you know, land is good, uh, farmland. Um, but in terms of uh, gold, silver, bitcoin, the mentees, and deals, um. I'm kind of sitting in the fence with these little greenhouses and red hotels because I've had a couple of disasters with the, you know, I went a bit heavy into the, the hospitality space. Right. We got wrecked. So I'm, uh, I'm just taking it easy just now. Yeah. It's, I, no just, dollars, man, like investing in these things all the time. Books.
1: Books. <laughs> they just put a sign outside my neighborhood, six month mortgage payments for free. There's
0: a, there's a this shit scares me, man. That, that, that's the thing. Why are they doing that? Yeah. Are, we, uh, like, are we going to go into negative equity um, this, this time next year? Right. The thing is, if you're going long-term in real estate, um, it shouldn't really matter, but uh, it's just the unknown But that just now. Stay away from the stock market. I was in the stock market, but I pulled out. Um, it's just It didn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah,
0: I couldn't understand what was going on. couldn't explain it. So I backed off. So, how
2: many businesses are you a owner of or a partial owner of right now?
0: Yeah, just ever just one holding company uh, with various hospitality businesses underneath the holding company. Uh, but everything else, all the big stuff, we sold off. Thankfully,
2: is is that how you like to do it? I mean, when you go into an acquisition, do you like to look at a five, 10 year horizon with an exit strategy?
0: Now I do, yes. Uh, we're going to be holding stuff long-term. Um, so five, 10, five years minimum, but going in with a 10-year mindset, but also where we can add value to the business. Um, so my mindset for the next lot of acquisitions isn't what the mindset was five years ago, because the the mindset I had five years ago was package and sell. So I've got in with a longer-term mindset now, um, and anything that we do buy will be looking to hold, add value, and then sell, make an exit. But uh, for example, the manufacturing company in the UK, we're looking at rolling up uh, similar businesses into one holding company um, and then adding value.
2: So what what size revenue do you look at when you go into a deal? Do you have, do you have a particular revenue target that you're looking at or you just keep an yeah. open mind?
0: Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, the mentorship, I'm advising the guys that we should be looking between £500,000 um, and 5 million um, as a ballpark figure, not not any lower than 500k because then you're banging into one-man band style operation. you're buying yourself a job. and that, that that's not what I'm trying to teach them. I'm trying to teach them to come in, buy a business that you can work on, not in, become a shareholder of and appoint a director or a CEO. Who's then going to uh, who's got the knowledge of the business? Who's going to take the business to the next level? Because unless you physically have knowledge in that business, you cannot be the director of that business because you've got no contacts in the industry, you don't understand the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, what your what, what your job should be should be uh, uh, looking at what mechanisms can I put in place to grow the business, and then you would create a holding company, draw out a, a set a, a, a set of KPIs, so your key performance indicators. Which you, you would work with with your director, setting realistic expectations, and then targets based on past performance. So, um, with that in mind, you've got a director on board who can uh, who can leverage his contacts, run the business, and follow your instructions, and look after a sales team that can then take the business uh, to its next one million in revenue.
2: So, is that guy the previous owner? the key guy that you're talking about, or is that somebody that you guys bring in and he gets a salary sure. and he knows what you guys are looking for?
0: Sometimes we can keep the previous owner on if he's happy to work on an advisory basis. Uh, in the case of the manufacturing company in the UK, we've got the current owner staying on board. Um, so they'll be working as uh, we call a, a, a NED, so non-executive director. Um, so just, you know, just sitting on the side weekly or monthly meetings, helping to steer the business in the right direction, thinking about the vision that they had for the company's future. Uh, And then, um, of of course, I might have different ideas, but it's good to, uh, if it's a successful business like the manufacturing company that we're working on just now, then I would like to keep that person uh, very close by my side uh, and looking together at what we can do to take the company um, or to drive the company forward, or at least until we thoroughly understand the business inside out Um, In the case of the company that we're looking at just now, we are looking for an external CEO to put into that business. Not always do you buy a business that the CEO is the owner, uh, like the uh, shareholder owner of the business owner operator, because uh, it could have been a company that have come along, acquired a share capital, and then put a, a, a director in the driver's seat to take the company forward. So, you know, it's a... You've got different circumstances.
2: You know, you hit it on the head right there when you talk about, so I work for a lot of small companies. And the one thing that I notice is for those guys to be successful, and generally they have some, you know, modesty of success. They always want to take it to another level, but they always have one guy in there, whether it's the owner or a key personnel that is the grinder. That's what I call them. Those are the guys that are there day in, day out. They're going to be there five days a week from sunup to sundown. They're the guys that open the door. They're the guys that close the door. And all these businesses need a grinder until they get to the level where they have the infrastructure in place. And so you being on the acquisition side, it's probably crucial to identify, is it one of the grinding businesses or can we take this thing to the next level? We can put the infrastructure in place where the grinder can step out and we can run this thing from afar.
0: Yeah, the, the thing is, you know, if you're buying at that low revenue uh, sub-500K, then, you know, if, if you get a direct owner-director grinding in the business, then, you know, you've got to account for the fact that this guy, uh, what is the, what, what is his functions in the business and what is, what is it going to take to replace this guy in the business and what, what's it going to cost the business because already um, you, you're, you're going to look at losing 50, 100K uh, of the revenues of the company. So that that's why, you know, when you're sitting around the 500K mark, you're already in the in the red zone. But you'll find as well that it's easier to raise money on a company that's, he- that's heavy assets, that, that's asset heavy, that's turning over 5 million, that's past the test of time, that's, say, 30, 40 years old, than it is to raise money for a smaller business that doesn't have many assets. Yeah, so, we, you know, it's better. You know, it is better to um, to look at uh, companies which are um, one to five million, and if possible, keep away from the smaller stuff. Uh, for that reason, because it's easier to raise money for them, much easier. Like the uh, the the manufacturing company that uh, we're acquiring, it's one point nine million in assets in machinery, big machinery. Some of the machines cost six seven hundred k pounds. So sub one million dollars uh, and there's we get equity of 500k in the machinery alone that we can leverage how could you do that for a business that's 500k revenue like what assets has it got it's uh, you know you're, you're talking small small bucks by the time that you uh, you work out on the figures so you going into
2: that deal right there what, what what's the portion of ownership that you hope to keep yourself
0: hundred percent
2: okay so you're not JV in that. You're going to own that one outright.
0: Yeah. Well, um, when I say me myself and uh, one of the mentees will be equal partners on the deal.
2: I got you. But you guys, so,
0: were- it's, a, it's, a hundred, it's acquisition of a hundred percent of the uh, of the share capital of the company. So the owners will not be keeping uh, an equity stake in the business or an earnout. It's a clean exit. And when you do a JV, what percentage ownership are you trying to get out of that? Me, because I like to roll my sleeves up and get dirty, uh, I'm looking for a 50% um, partnership. And how much of, uh, like, what, how involved
1: are you uh, in those type of deals? Like, do you just provide advisory or, like, you're actually helping with day-to-day?
0: Yeah, so what would normally happen is we draft a share purchase agreement um, to the effect that this is just outlining uh, shareholder A's duties, shareholders B's duties, expectations. Okay. So we come in with a view to, uh, in this case, we're going to be looking at expanding um, the. So we get the holding company uh bolt on acquisitions and expanding the operation. So already we've found another uh, manufacturing company in the same industry um, that's uh, doing revenues of four million pounds. So. Uh, so I'll be involved in uh, taking the holding company, the revenues, growing the revenues, bolting on similar acquisitions. Looking at uh, th- there's an opportunity to expand the revenues by two million. They've just brought uh, they've just brought in a new machine. It costs them six or seven hundred k to uh, decrease the workforce to increase the workflow. Um, very very efficient piece of machinery. Um, so uh, I'll be looking at getting involved in that driving the sales team to uh, a 2 million, uh, they've found a gap of 2 million that they could drive the revenues by. So I'll be part of that to help drive the, the sales team because, you know, entrepreneurship, it's not about how does this machine work or how do you do the heart surgery? It's about uh, building the sales and it's a becoming a good salesman and uh, and building out the processes because at the end of the day, Um, That is the most important skill to have in in identifying the right people to put them in the right places. Like Elon Musk says, uh, you know, he's the visionary, but he hires the guys. He hasn't been to Harvard, but he hires the guys that have been. So it's our job to hire the technical directors, um, the machine operators, uh, key individuals that have experience operating similar machineries because it's a big business. It's a big industry. So it's just identifying those people putting them in the right place, getting the sales team uh, building at the inbound and outbound processes, and then driving the revenue of the business because you know the the more customers that you've got it's uh, that 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 that's uh, it's the foundations of the company
1: and then you guys are starting to think about an exit strategy as soon as the deal is closed
0: for for this one no um just now we're gonna uh, look upon driving the revenues. Uh, uh, nearing 100 million uh, Great British Pounds. So not just with this business, you know, we got two million 2 million um, cushion with this business where we can drive it to uh, uh, somewhere nearing uh, 9, 10 million, but uh, by bolting on similar companies to get a bigger market share mm-hmm. um, is what our plan is going to be. And then once we do so, then look at making an exit. Gotcha. Okay. Shane?
2: That's some... Uh that's some good growth there. 9, 10 million to a hundred million. How, how, how long are you anticipating that uh, it'll take you to get to that level?
0: That could take five, 10 years. Um, it could take 10, 15 acquisitions.
2: I got you. You know, you, I uh, always like to circle back on uh, how people get started and you had a great story about how you got started with the kind of that cleaning business and was it the same cleaning business that you started at 13 that you still had at 20 or did you get it, did you get out of that one start another one and
0: yeah um so get get the patio cleaning business uh, about 16 17 year old uh you know we moved uh, to another city um i uh yeah, i was in some jobs um from from school same company but different city uh working in the call center a lot of key skills, you know. Like I said one day I want to own a call center, and so I did. You know, we created a call center in the Philippines, uh, myself and a partner from the USA. Um, so you know, I uh, I, t- I took the skills that, that I learned from, uh, from from working in the call center in the in the UK. Here, we built out the call center in the in the Philippines, and then we used the call center to dr- drive the revenues of the cleaning company at the same time. Uh, so we had uh, our guys uh, uh, generating leads. So we're acquiring data, lots and lots of data in the Philippines of companies. Uh, so we're dialing out, so every uh, CSA call center advisor, dialing out 100 calls a day. That would generate two appointments. So then we had a sales team on the ground in the UK, uh, not just the UK, we the stuff over in Europe as well. And then the, the sales guy would attend the appointments um, and yes, yeah, so we, we, they were working a full-time job, you know, uh, five, 10 appointments every day, at least per per person on the ground in the UK.
2: You know, what I love about that story is we talk about the evolution, right? You talk about, you had a mindset that's different from five years ago and yeah, for an entrepreneur, even, even if, if he had a job where he was working for the man, like you were talking about, you were in a call center. You never see that as something that's small. that That is like a stepping stone. That you acquire that information, you hack the ladder, and you take that skill set, and you even implemented it in your businesses as you, as you progressed. I, I love those kind of stories. Josh has got a similar type of story, and and that's part of the evolution of business owners. and that, And I just love that those stories.
0: I like that word. It is an evolution. It's an evolution and just absorbing. You know, when I was younger, everybody's complaining about their job. But I was saying, listen, guys, this is, a, this is an educational lesson. We're learning sales. We're learning how to sell loans. And that's the way that you need to look at it. You know, when I first started the cleaning business, was generating a lot of money, but I wasn't taking any wages. But I'm thinking, right, well, I'm not really making any money because I'm putting it all back into the business. But I'm learning. I'm learning along the way. So this is a this is a learning experience even although um, you know, I spent years in acquisitions that didn't go anywhere. I said to myself, this is a learning experience. It's costing me a lot of money, but the mistakes that are being made, but this is a learning experience. It's an evolution process.
2: I love the way you look at that. That is so true. Spot on. <laughs> and, you know, one thing like every once in a while, like I'll get a chance to speak to a high school age group, you know, especially in banking, you know, the, whatever, where, where the bank was, you know, these local schools will reach out and, you know, ask you every once in a while, if you come and give a speech to the, you know, the, the students. And I would always go in there and I would tell them the same kind of thing. Don't think that your job at Taco Bell is menial. You got to go in there with the right mindset. And so you go in there with a mindset of think like the owner, right? So if you're just a guy that's working on the grill, think like the owner, what does the owner think about? You know, the owner thinks about, and I always say one word, he thinks about everything. He's worried about the condiment station. He's worried about the bathroom. He's worried about the lights. He's worried about how much rent costs. He's worried about uh, the utility costs. He's worried about food overhead and waste and theft. And really, he's worried about everything. But if you as an employee will take that mindset of embracing that and you too try to think about everything. So when you see the condiment station, it's dirty. Just go clean it up, even though that's not your job. If the bathroom's filthy, clean it up. I go, you will be spotted immediately by the people that run the place and they will pick you out for you're going to be the first guy to get a race. You're going to be the first guy to get a promotion. And if you adopt that mindset for a long period of time, you too one day will be the
0: owner, but you've got to yeah, have, that, you know, you're going to be the guy that turns up early, that's, that over delivers always going the extra mile. Because like you say, uh, the, the key person of the influence in the organization, they're watching you and they're going to pick you out. You know, if you're, if, if you're flipping burgers, McDonald's, you just think one day I could be flipping businesses. Every, these burgers could be businesses. Uh, but just always over-delivering. Over-deliver the burgers. Over-deliver what you're doing. Turn up early. Just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to cost you nothing at the end of the day. It's going to cost you a little bit more energy. But you're going to make people happy, and you're going to get recognized for being that person. It's different because it's not in the workplace. It's not hard, and it can relate to the workplace. So being there. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, you're, you're going to be, uh, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Cream always rises to the top, uh, that's what I tell exactly. everybody. Why, why is this guy, well, why are you doing that again? Why, why are you doing that? Because I want to, I, I, I want to turn up early. I want to log in on my headset 15 minutes before I'm due to start taking calls. And, and, and I, and I, I want to stay back and ask my team leader, is there anything more that I can do for you guys? Is everything good? And they'll be like, hey, you know, one day you're going to be in my seat
2: exactly right good stuff and I will tell you my mentor like like you started your own business and then you know you realize you know after that's over when you sold your business let's say you're like why would I ever start another business it's just too hard and I remember like I didn't have a business mentor so the first guy that I, that really became my business mentor was in the banking environment and I was always on the real estate side and I was a real estate investor for quite a few years and this guy came in and he was a incredible business owner. He was the best that I had in my system, right? And he would sit down and he would tell me, he never bought real estate. So he was this master at business but not a master at real estate. And we would have these awesome debates. You know, it went on for about 6 months. He would come in, he would sit in front of me and I would tell him why he needed to buy real estate. And he would sit there and tell me why I needed to buy business. And every time he left, I just kept growing more and more to the concept of the way that he's buying business is the way to do it. And he told me the story when You know, he he went to school, got a master's degree, whatever. But when he was done with that, he started his own business. And he worked his ass off, right, for like five years, grinding it out, built something great. And he said when he sold it, he had this – he was excited to get out. But at the same time, he had this miserable feeling like, I built everything for this guy to step in. And he he doesn't have to do any of the hard labor, the hard yakker that I had to go through. And from that point on, he said, I will never – Start up another business. I will only acquire an existing business. And he, you know, we took the Warren Buffett model and just equated it to small business, much like talking about doing too. But that always stuck with me. And I'm going to have him on the podcast here in a few weeks, and we're going to share that same story. And and there's a great book right there to back all that up. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your mindset, the same way of of what he came to the conclusion of.
0: Very good points that you just made there. Um, You know, when you're buying a business, you are, um, it's it's like you're jumping in the Doctor Who TARDIS uh, or the DeLorean and you're going forward into the future. Um, You know, you're um, all the blood, sweat, tears, structuring, contracts, negotiations, banking relationships, um, building the supply chain out writing now, the applications for your credit accounts, getting the references put in place, like you're jumping ahead of all that because it's all it's already been done for you. Building the team, recruitment, running out all the campaigns, the sales and marketing, like the list is endless. Where, where do you where do you finish? <laughs> like every everything is there for you, and you know you're you're paying a consider you're paying a consideration. It's you know if it's a leveraged buyout, you know it's it's. It's mind blowing that you that you can do that, and the seller is happy. Like the guy that were uh, or the guys that were buying the manufacturing company from, they, they noticed in the LBO. And they said, "If there's any way that we can help you facilitate fa- facilitate the process and uh, help make it happen faster, we're here to support you. Let me know. Um, let me know what we can do for you. You know, we'll do everything. We'll do the tap dance for you. We won't do the full-on belly dance, but we'll do the tap dance for you."
1: And Ken actually sent me that video that he where he he proposed to them and they were happy and it was, oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, everybody was on the same page. You know, there's no confusion. There was no hesitation. There was no hesitation at all. Hey, so it's happening. It's happening.
0: It's happening. And, like, to, to think just there's so many different parameters to think about when you're creating a business like that. Put, uh, where to put in the machines, where to put people, and um, man, it's just, uh, I'll never, ever start a business again as well, ever.
2: And that is great for our listeners to hear.
0: S- Startups are for suckers, is what I say.
2: Startups are for suckers. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ken, I got one more thing before we we go that I want to touch on. I want to get your your input on is, is the failure side. So, uh, you know, you were talking about hardship, almost filing bankruptcy, you know, and, and, and I've got a, a I had bought a restaurant a while back, and it did not go well. And uh, I too was on the point of
0: (laughs) one of them myself, and it's it's on the brink of collapse.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and I want to tell my story just real briefly. Is I remember during that time vividly because you know I'd been in banking, and we have the golden handcuffs. You know, we always make decent money, and you never have to worry about you know not paying bills or whatever. So this was new territory for me. You know, and I had a business on the side, but, you know, I never really had to put any money into it. And I had a partner. He was the grinder. And so he did all the work. And so but on the restaurant, I was in it day to day. And, and I remember when we were going through these tough times, I vividly remember. Couldn't sleep. I remember waking up at night and, and I'd never felt this before, but feeling the uh, press where the anxiety was so strong, I was actually choking on stress. And 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 I don't know if that's the precursor to a, a panic attack. I don't know, but uh I remember two occasions that happening in the and it is incredibly, incredibly difficult for business owners to go through that. So talk a little bit about your uh struggles when you're in those tough times.
0: Yeah, it's uh I, I need to uh, visualize and put myself in in one <laughs> of those situations. It's not a nice place to be, um, but, you know, failure is very important because the thing is when you fail are you uh, – sometimes it's out with your control. So sometimes, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you may have caused it to happen because you, you've not known what the right things to do are. Maybe you've – maybe your company is insolvent and you don't know that it's insolvent, and uh, and all of a sudden you've been drawn uh, a heap of money out of the business um, on say a director's loan account, and all of a sudden it's in the hands of the administrators. And now the administrators are saying to you, you've got unpaid VAT, you've got unpaid pays you earn, you've been drawn down a de- director's loan account. You know, we need to go through the formal process. And what that means is that your uh your estate is at risk of sequestration. Basically, you could be made bankrupt. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the process. It's very hard to stomach. But uh, you're, you're going to learn um, ways to mitigate that or avoid that from happening again in the future to ring fence yourself to protect yourself. You know, you want to have, a, for example, a screw you fund. And a screw you fund is uh, maybe it's a, a bunch of money that you, you put somewhere so that if something does happen to you, you'll be okay. You know, you've got that to fall back on because you've got, you're going to have at the back of your mind that, if if the worst happens i've got, i've got the screw you fund to fall back on um you know it's a failure is part of the process and it's going to happen uh start up businesses you know have a 90% chance of failure within 10 years very very high uh, chance of failure they're very high risk so you got to prepare your mind for it mentally uh, and you do not you know you Getting to the stage where you're that anxious that you know you can, uh, you're choking up on anxiety and stress, which is that this this happens. You've got to just uh, always prepare for the worst and have the uh, the military mindset. Have the military mindset, preparing yourself for the worst, so that uh, you know when the worst does happen, you are already expecting it. <laughs>
1: Expect the worst.
0: Pray for the (laughs) best. Thinking about the art, looking at the art of war down here, the book by Sun Tzu. Great Mm -hmm. book that. But, uh, you know, just preparing yourself for the worst and expecting the worst. Always expect the worst. Yeah. I've had had that many disappointments that uh, I expect the worst anyway. And, uh, you know, I'm prepared for a crisis.
2: That's a good mindset. And and one thing that that always struck me is, if you fail at something, it does not mean you're a failure, right? And business owners have to keep that in the back of their head because it's easy as a business owner to lose confidence when he struggles and he goes through a tough time and you know he blames himself or whatever. but you cannot just assume that because that failed that you are a failure. you know you got to look at it through the right lens. you got to have that mindset of that's going to be my launching pad for future success.
0: Well, you're more successful than the guy who didn't try.
1: We're <laughs> gonna put that on a on a ca- canvas, on a shirt. More <laughs> than the guy who didn't try. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's true. You know you are. You're more successful than the guy who didn't try if you fail. It's just part of the process. Then you have just you've you've learned a lesson, you've found out a way of how not to do it. Mm-hmm. So then you just take it off. You know, don't do it this way. Let's try it that way. But if you have a mentor, for example, then it's going to show you ways to not do it and ways that should be. They're, they're going to show you the ways that it should be done. You now, your mentor could be a book. It could be an audio book. Or it could be the Business Buyers Tribe. <laughs> it could be the Business Buyers Tribe. in you know, a free group on Facebook. Um, yeah, check out Like tiny people
2: or the next level mastermind
0: or the next level mastermind getting yourself around the right people you're learning from the people who you aspire to and surround yourself with people that uh, that are going to elevate you force you to level up
2: man that is great words to end with ken And we we have taken about an hour of your time brother and it has been well worth our time to listen to your stories and your your wisdom and uh, you want to plug your your
0: boot camp one more time <sighs> Yeah, so it's kicking off tomorrow, um, tomorrow evening. We've got uh, one place left. It is, uh, it's going to be 10 in the group. We've got nine places uh, taken so far. A few of the guys that uh, have joined are part of my online uh, course. Uh, but for anybody who's interested, uh, they can check out chemac.com slash bootcamp or chemat.com slash online course. Um, there is, aren't any set dates for the bootcamp for next year, uh, but the online course I built, I'm going to be pushing, and I'm going to be running a free of charge um, Zoom uh, conference calls as well to help guide anybody who's been inv- who's investing in the online course. And it's going to have, give you all the tools, and all the knowledge that you need from start to finish to buy a business. Take you right through to ownership. But thanks a lot for having me on, guys. You know it's been a pleasure. You know I've been uh, uh, I've been looking forward to jumping on with you guys, and uh, uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Our pleasure, sir.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to like, comment and subscribe. Take care. We'll see you next time.